morning. Our reading is taken from the first book of Samuel, Samuel, chapter 12, and you'll find it on page 221 in the Pew Bibles. Just a very short prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and for what it reveals about the wisdom of Samuel and his leadership through your guidance of the people of Israel. Amen. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who anointed, appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. 
But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Well, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on 1 Samuel. Uh, While Andrew Chan and uh, Myran Sukumaran uh, were led outside, they had pleaded for mercy that changed their lives, but it didn't make a difference. Uh, You might know them as members of the Bali Nine. Uh, who tried to smuggle eight kilograms of heroin into Australia in 2005. But after 10 years in prison, they were changed men. Uh, both had become Christians. Uh, Andrew became, uh, wanted to become a pastor, and Myron was studying fine arts from Curtin University remotely in a jail cell. Uh, they did what they could to make amends. They even tried to help others, but it made no difference. Uh, just after midnight on the 29th of April, 2015, They were led outside by guards, armed guards. They stood before a firing squad and they were executed. Uh, This was despite the pleas uh, for mercy from the Australian government, from France, from the European Union, but it was all to no avail. They weren't given a second chance. Uh, In reflecting on this incident, a top public servant uh, said Andrew and Myron should have been granted mercy. Not because they deserved it, but because he's ever grateful for the second chance he was afforded when he was a drug trafficker himself. Now, you might not know Michael Coote's trotter, but he's the secretary of the New South Wales Department of Premier and Cabinet. But you'll probably know his wife, Tanya Pilbersek, the Federal Minister for the Environment and Water. You see, when Michael was 19 years old, he was arrested for conspiracy to import narcotics after becoming a heroin addict as a teenager. He was sentenced to nine years in jail, but it was, uh, but it was, but is now one of the most important public servants in New South Wales. He says, I was afforded a second chance by our Australian justice system. I remain grateful for that every day. Huge contrast between drug traffickers in Indonesia and in Australia. Michael was given a second chance Andrew and Myron weren't. Michael was given a second chance, a fresh start, a new lease in life. Have you ever been given a second chance? Maybe you failed a test. And you were given a second chance to resit that test. Or maybe you did something wrong. But you were forgiven. We all want a second chance, don't we? Because we all need it. Imagine if you failed a driving test and it meant you weren't allowed to resit a driving test ever and therefore you could never drive in your life. One chance and that's it. Maybe if you stuffed up on a, a project at work and you got the sack because you one, made one mistake. You weren't given a second chance. It would be devastating, wouldn't it? We all want a second chance because we all need a second chance. And if you remember the story we've been on so far with Saul, then you'll know that God gave him a second chance. Remember when the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him uh, the first time in chapter 10? What did he do? Well, instead of going out to fight the Philistines, he had as a good old yarn with his uncle about donkeys. And last week's passage, when Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, lay siege on an Israelite town, the Jabesh Gilead. What, what, what was Saul doing? What was the king of Israel doing? 
hanging out with his oxen. It's very clear uh, that Saul wasn't very interested in the kingdom of God and the things of God, but in his own little kingdom of donkeys and oxen and the things of men. But as we saw last week, God gave Saul a much-needed second chance, a fresh start. So the Spirit of God came upon him again, the second time, powerfully. And at this time, he musters an army, defeats the Ammonites, and saves God's people. After his territory, uh, uh, after this victory, sorry, Samuel calls the people of Israel to renew the kingship, not just of Saul, but of God as their king. Because at this coronation service, Saul was declared king in the presence of the Lord, and they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. You see, the people of Israel thought a king like the other nations was what they needed. But now they know that it isn't because God is their king, God is their great deliverer. And God will continue to rule as their king, not through a judge as he raises every now and then, but now through his anointed king. That's the only way it's going to work. And so just as God gave Saul a second chance to obey God again as king, so in today's passage, God gives the nation of Israel a second chance, a fresh start. Because Saul wasn't just the only one who disobeyed God, all of Israel had abandoned God. And so as we look at today's passage, we're like a fly on the wall at Gilgal. Samuel's gathered all of Israel together, and we hear what Samuel said to Israel, how he called them to renew the kingship of God. And this passage can be broken up into three main sections. Verses 1 to 5, Israel had a good judge. 6 to 12, Israel had a good king. And 13 to 25, Israel must repent and recommit to God as their king. So let's have a look at each section briefly. The first section, Israel had a good judge, and that judge was Samuel. Uh, He was a good judge because he listened to God. And one of the ways in which he listened to God that we see in the passage is that he gave Israel a king. They asked for a king, God told him to give them a king, and so he did. Even if it meant stepping down as leader of God's people and passing on the baton of leadership to Saul. So verse 1, Samuel said to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and grey and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. But Samuel wasn't just a good judge because he obeyed God's word. He was a good judge because he didn't take from them as a king will. And so he sets the record straight. Verse 3, Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these things, I'll make it right. You see, Samuel wants to set the record straight as he steps back from leadership. He tells him, look through my records. Play all the security tapes. Search my property. Read my Facebook posts. Look at my Instagram images. And you'll see that I've led with justice. And my administration has been effective. And if you remember back to chapter 8, when, when the people asked for a king, Samuel warned them 
that a king will take from you and take from you and take from you. They'll take your sons and your daughters, your best fields and a tenth of your grain, your male servants and a tenth of your flocks. But Samuel's saying, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. But the king will. I've been a good judge. But you've rejected me, you've rejected God. He's a far better judge and leader of God's people than a king will ever be a king like the other nations. And they agree, verse 4, you have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. But Israel didn't just have a good judge, they also had a good king, and that was God. Whenever they were in trouble they, and turned back to God, God came through for them. And it's like they don't remember how good, ha, good God has been to them. And so Samuel reminds them in verse 7, Now then, stand here, because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. You see, God has always been there for them, and he's always been there to save them when they've needed him. Verse 8, Samuel reminds them that when they were slaves in Egypt and they cried out to God, God came through for them. He raised up Moses and Aaron to go and save them and rescue them from slavery. From verse 9, when they were oppressed by the army of Hazor or the hands of the Philistines or the king of Moab and they cried out to God in verse 10, God raised up judges for them. Samuel includes himself in this list in verse 11. But now they've asked for a king, even though God is their king a king who has never let them down, yet they have rejected him. Verse 12, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Uh, there's a true story I read online about a woman. Let, let's call her Maria. She didn't give her name. She wrote to a psychologist uh, online seeking help because she was desperate. Uh, Marie is 27 years old. She's been happily married for four years and describes her husband as the perfect husband. Uh, she loves him. They've had a great relationship. Even when their house burned down, they stuck together. They supported each other through good times and hard times. He's been the perfect husband. But then she confesses, if I love my husband as much as uh, so much and I would describe him as the perfect husband, why did I cheat on him? You see, everything was good. Everything was perfect. She had the perfect husband, but then she had an affair with a colleague for six months. It makes no sense, does it? Uh, he, her husband was, wasn't unfaithful to her. Her husband didn't do anything wrong. Her husband didn't neglect her in any way. In her own words, he has been the perfect husband. Yet she completely violates her marriage covenant, she's completely unfaithful to the perfect husband. She's the most imperfect wife. And the sad reality with the psychologist is that his response wasn't confess or admit, but you'll be okay. And in a similar way, that's what Israel was to God, but the message, the response that they must hear is very different. God has been faithful to them when they needed him. He was there for them, always. He's been the perfect king. When they were in trouble, he raised up judges to deliver them. But instead of trusting in God, they rejected God and asked for a king like the other nations. 
No matter which way you look at it, Israel was wrong to ask for a king because God has been their faithful king. He's the faithful husband to his unfaithful wife, the generous king to his ungrateful people. But even though Israel was wrong to ask for a king, God has given them a king and now he gives them a second chance. Just like they asked, he gives them a king, but he'll also give them a second chance to make things right. Verse 13, now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. They wanted a human king to replace God as their king. A human king to replace the living king, the living God. But what we saw over the last few weeks is that a human king, like the other nations, without God, sorry, that's the second time I've done that. A human king without God is a king like Saul who chats to his uncle about donkeys instead of fighting the Philistines. That's what you get. A human king without God, like the other nations, is Saul hanging out with his oxen while the people of Jabesh Gilead are about to have their right eye gouged out. That's what it's like to have a king like the other nations, a king without God. But when the Spirit of God powerfully comes upon Saul, as we saw last week, and cause him to feel what God feels, he will do what God would do, and that is to save God's people. And so both Saul and the people of Israel now know that what they need isn't a king like the other nations, but a king who will obey God, a king who will be led by God. And that's what Samuel makes clear in the rest of his speech. He lays out for them the two ways to live. This is the gospel according to Samuel. Either they live under the rule of king, the God, God as king, that they submit to God as their king and live under his rule, or disobey and rebel against God and become an enemy of God. Live with God as your true king, or live as an enemy of God. Verse 14, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Here's the punchline, isn't it? This is a critical verse in this passage. Here's their second chance. Here's their opportunity to make things right, to have a fresh start. Here is the gospel according to Samuel, their chance to get it right, to submit to God as their true king. And in case they think Samuel's not being serious or that God won't follow through, Samuel gives them a sign. A sign in verse 16, Now then stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I'll call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you'll realize that what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Now wheat harvest was around May uh, and June. It was the beginning of the dry season. And so every Israelite knew Rain was very rare at this time of year. Not impossible, but rare. Like Melbourne being covered, imagine that, Melbourne being covered on Christmas Day with snow. Maybe not impossible, but definitely rare. And that's exactly what happens at harvest time in May, June, 
Verse 18, then Samuel called on the Lord, and on that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord, and of Samuel. You see, this sign, like the signs in the Bible, is an extraordinary event that makes it clear that God's the one behind it. And what's the purpose? Well, remember verse 17, to help them realize how evil it was in the eyes of God for them to ask for a king. And if you were a farmer, which most of the Israelites were, if you're a farmer, your livelihood were your crops. And it's harvest time. You're ready. You're ready to bring in the harvest. It's your livelihood. It's your food. And if rain and thunder comes at this time, you could wash it all out. It could completely destroy their harvest and destroy their livelihood. Their entire future is at stake with the sign that God brings upon them at this very moment. And so, in one swell swoop, God could destroy their harvest. So he can't make it any clearer how evil it was for them to ask for a king. It's black and white. And the people of Israel seem to get it. They plead to Samuel to make it stop. Verse 19, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. This is the first time since asking for a king that they admitted that they've been wrong. You see, for Israel to recommit themselves to God as their king, they needed to recognize their own evilness, their own sinfulness. They needed to admit that they have done wrong and that they need to plead for mercy and they need someone to intercede for them. And that man is Samuel. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. You notice the word evil keeps coming up because that is how bad it was for them to ask for a king. I think sometimes we don't realize how bad it is, but Samuel makes it very clear. It is great evil to not have God as your king. You have done all this evil, yet don't turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away after useless idols. They can do no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord again and serve him faithfully with all your heart again. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing what? Evil. If you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Do you hear the constant refrain? Fear the Lord. Don't persist in doing evil. Serve the Lord faithfully with all your heart. Don't rebel against him. Samuel can't be any clearer. They're they're given a second chance, the opportunity of a lifetime to get it right, yet despite all these warnings. How far do you think we have to read on before something goes wrong again? A mere nine verses. Less than seven days, not even a week. As we'll see next week, Saul can't just can't help himself. He doesn't even last a week before he turns his heart against God again. 
Michael Coots Trotter was a drug trafficker. But through the Australian judicial system, he was rehabilitated and given a second chance in life. He says, every time I've applied for my job, I've told people about my background, about my drug conviction. I think the counterview in my, is my life uh, shows that redemption is possible, that a terrible and, a, and criminal mistake, serious as it was, can be paid for and can move on from it. Some people might be ashamed of such a past, but not Michael Coates Trotter. Because for him, his debt has been paid. And his redemption story, redemption story, sorry, is testimony to our great nation. But even though Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran weren't given a second chance by the Indonesian government, theirs is even a greater redemption story. For the second chance they got didn't come from any government or magistrate, but from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. After Andrew Chan was sentenced to the death penalty, he went back to his, into his cell and he said to God, God, I ask you to set me free, not kill me. God spoke to me and said, Andrew, I have set you free from the inside out. I have given you life. From that moment on, I haven't stopped worshipping him. I had never sung before, never led worship until Jesus set me free. You see, with Jesus, Andrew didn't just get a second chance in life. He got new life. He didn't just get a fresh start. He got eternal life. His debt was paid by the death of Christ. His sins no longer counted against him. His slate wiped clean. He had a fresh start. And in one way or other, we're all like Andrew. We're all like the barley nine. We're all like Israel. For we've all done evil in the eyes of God. And if we persist, we will perish. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, a verse that you're very familiar with, I'm sure, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the two ways to live, to believe in the Son and have eternal life, or to reject the Son and perish. Friends, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, then believe in him today so that you can have a fresh start. And if you do believe in Jesus, then obey him as your king. Listen to him as your saviour and worship him as your God. For Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like love your neighbours as ourselves. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Let's choose life and not perish. Amen.